We are in a series called Let There Be Light, and we've been looking at the conflict of light versus darkness. This, several leaders, including Pastor Scott, have come up and they've posed a question every week. And then we look into scripture to find out what does it say about that? And how can we take that into our own lives? And then how can we walk forward in that? Today we're going to talk about, and, and Scott's so funny, when, when he gave me this message a couple of months ago, he gives me the bad stuff. He doesn't give me the frilly, thrilly stuff that makes you feel oogly good when you leave. But today we're going to talk about bad things happening. And I'm going to refer to these things as we go along as Job-esque. If you're familiar with the book of Job, you'll understand that. If you're not, I encourage you to listen to this message and then go back and read it when you get some time. My family and I have already had a Job-esque month of August. Um, just last week, took my eldest son, my only son, to college. He's, and now he's out of state. He's far away. I'm representing son, if you see it. There it is. <laughs> I hope he's watching. <laughs> we uh, had two cars that needed immediate repairs or they would not drive anymore. That was money. So now I've lost a son. I've, I, I'm financially going, ooh, being strangled. I came home from that, from that trip to a dishwasher that no longer works. And you guys know me. I'm handy jack. I can do anything. I can't figure out why it's not working. Next morning, I'm sitting on the porch, 6 a.m., drinking my cup of coffee. And my sprinkler system goes on, and I'm listening to the birds, and my sprinklers are going, and all of a sudden, I have a water feature coming out of the middle of the lawn where a sprinkler head should be. I play volleyball. I coach volleyball. I tore part of my hamstring about a month ago, early in the month. Hobble on stage. The Thursday storm, that hail, the tornadoes, and the, and the rain pulverized my, my crops in the back. My two tomato plants. <laughs> my peppers, gone. Tomatoes, smushed. The leaves in my canopy tree in the front lawn are now laying, or in my front, are laying everywhere. It's terrible. And I still have, it's the 22nd, and I still have three doctor's appointments to go to the rest of this month for an ailment that I've been dealing with for over a year. I feel like Job. It's been a bad month. Things have not gone as I had planned. So let me ask you a question. What do you do when things in your life are not going well? They're sort of terrible. Where do you run? What do you do? To help me set the stage today, I want to introduce you to two men. Well, two male individuals. One is going to be Alexander, and the other one is going to be Job. And I'm going to start with Alexander first. Alexander in the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. <laughs> As an elementary school teacher, I've read this over and over and over for years. The book is by Judith Vorst. I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard by mistake, and I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running, and I could tell it was going to be a terrible Horrible, no good, very bad day. How many of you guys have had one of those? 
at breakfast, Anthony's cereal box had a cool Corvette Stingray kit in it. Nick's found it. Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his box of cereal. In my box of cereal, I found cereal. <laughs> in the carpool, Mrs. Gibson let Becky have a seat by the window. Audrey and Elliot got the seats by the window too, and I said I was being scrunched. I said I was being smushed. I said, if I don't get a seat by the window, I'm going to be car sick. No one even answered. I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Anybody relating yet? At school, Mrs. Dickinson liked Paul's picture better than mine. At singing time, she said I sang too loud. And counting time, she said I left out 16. Who needs 16? I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. There were two cupcakes in Philip Parker's lunch bag, and, after Albert, and Albert got a Hershey bar with almonds, and Paul's mother gave him a piece of jelly roll that had little coconut sprinkles. Guess whose mother forgot to put a dessert in? It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. On the way downstairs, the elevator door closed on my foot, and while we were waiting for my mom to get in the car, Anthony made me fall where there was, it was muddy. And when I started crying because, Nick's, because of the mud, Nick said I was a crybaby. And while I was punching Nick for saying I was a crybaby, my mom came back to the car and scolded me for being muddy and for fighting. I was having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. There were lima beans for dinner. I hate lima beans. There was kissing on TV. I hate kissing. My bath was too hot. I got soap in my eyes. My marble went down the drain, and I had to wear my railroad train pajamas. I hate my railroad train pajamas. When I got into bed, Nick took my pillow. My Mickey Mouse nightlight would not turn on. And I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Anthony, not with me. It's been a horrible, terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. My mom says there's days like that. How many of you guys can relate to that? You've had one of those days, and it never seems to end once you get into that rut for that day. But the cool thing is, go to sleep, the next day is new, right? And sometimes it carries over like 20 20 did with 2021 but now let's change topic let's talk about the man named job and if you ever wanted to know about job he's between esther and psalms in the bible you can read about him if you're familiar with the book you understand what i'm going to say next it's probably not the very first book in the bible that you want to go to for some spiritual um, excitement right because the book of job is not heartwarming it's actually filled with grief and death, loss, painful physical afflictions, doubt, and most importantly, the questioning of God himself. Let me give you the resume of Job real quick. He was a righteous man. He was deemed righteous. The Latin phrase quorum Deo means in the presence of God. So you can see where this guy stands. There's no doubt that Job was in a right relationship with God. Job was wealthy. He was generous, kind, faithful, the kind of guy that would give you the robe off his back. 
He talked the talk and he walked the walk. So one day out of the blue, the God, God and the devil are having an interesting conversation about Job. So picture this. They're both sitting in lawn chairs out on the lawn or wherever they are, coffee shop, I don't know. And here's how the conversation goes in Job. God says this. He says, have you noticed my friend Job? There's no one quite like him. Honest and true to his word, totally devoted to me, hating evil. The devil, rolling his eyes, says, oh, please give me a break. The only reason Job is faithful is because you've given him everything. Who wouldn't sing your praises if you're rich and you've got a big house and you've got a great family? That guy's got it way too easy. And then there's a silent pause in this, this conversation. And the devil comes up with a, an interesting idea. It's the devil's idea. He says, I got something, God. Take it all away from him. Take everything away remotely good in Job's life. Then let's see what happens. Let's see how he reacts. The devil thought in his brain or his mind, he said, this is, this is probably an easy win. It's going to be simple. But the thing is, God knew, knew the outcome. The end result had already been written. It had already been planned for, beforehand. So essentially, God was playing the devil into his own hands. So then, in a, in a series of devastating tragedies, Job loses everything. Everything. His, finan his financial assets wiped away. His estate was literally crushed by natural disasters. His children die. He gets sick with these painful boils that they say they cover for him from head to toe, every square inch. I get a splinter and I need a day off. Job is heartbroken, he's in pain, and he's barely hanging on emotionally. Can anybody relate to that? His friends come to visit. He's got four friends that come over, and though Job is hoping for an encouraging word from them, they look at him and they say, what's going on with you? This must have been caused by some sin in your life. He did nothing wrong. Even Job's wife isn't any better in the encouragement department. She looks at Job and says, oh, for Pete's sake, raising her hands, just curse God and die already. Oh, thank you, honey. In other words, she was telling Job to give up. God doesn't care about you anymore. You're a lost cause. Note to all the single men out there that are listening, stay away from a woman like this. Tell you that right now. But here's where the story actually gets, starts to get good. Job does not turn his back on God. During everything that is happening, he does not turn his back on God. He does, however, wrestle with doubt and questions. Any of you guys question God? Doubt God? He prays, God, why me? Why? Job 13, 15, and we, you've probably heard this. You've probably heard it on TV a million times. But this, this, this gives me goosebumps, this, this scripture. And it says, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. That's some bold words right there. I surely will defend my ways to his face. That's amazing. I don't know if I'd have the fortitude to do that at that time. If Job was working in the, in the entertainment industry today, 
he might have penned some of these words. Uh, Song by Mercy Me that was sung two weeks ago at the Rocky Stadium that we went to. I bawled like a baby with my daughter while this song was being played. It's called Even If. I know you're able. I know you can. Save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. He, he could have penned, Job could have penned those words. There's, this, there's another song by the same name, um, uh, Even If. It's by a band called Cutlass. And it says, even if the healing doesn't come, and even life falls apart, and dreams are still undone, you are God. You're good, forever faithful one, even if the healing doesn't come. Wow. He could have written a line in the movie uh, Facing the Giants. Remember Grant Taylor, the coach, sitting in the, uh, sitting in the locker room with all his boys? And he says, if we win, we'll praise him. And if we lose, we'll praise him. Either way, we honor him with our actions and our attitudes. Wow. Job simply just says, even though that his world is shaken all around him, and even though he has no more money, no more children, and he's hurting so badly, despite all of this, I'm still going to put my trust in you. Wow. That's, that's great. In response to Job's queries, God doesn't give him a list of reasons why things are happening. Can you relate to that? You ask why and you're waiting for the answer? And nothing. God doesn't even give him, shows him the purpose of the plan. God is silent here for a while. Instead, God turns the, the conversation around to Job and he asks questions back to him. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Have you seen where the darkness dwells and the way, the way that leads to light? Do you know the paths of the stars above? Now, God wasn't shaming him. He wasn't, he wasn't shaming him with those questions. He was telling him that there is a purpose and a meaning behind everything he does. Please take that to heart. Let that sink in for a moment. There's a purpose for things that are happening right now. In Afghanistan, in my life, in your life, I don't know what it is. We can doubt. We can question. That's, that's on the table. That's perfectly fine. We can even wonder, but there is always a purpose. Going to give you a spoiler alert. Go to Job 42, verse 13, I believe. Eventually, Job's trials end, and God restores Job to even more than he had before. Wow. The crux of the book of Job is just to help people learn that suffering is not always a punishment from God. That might have just slapped somebody in the face. You might have said, that doesn't ring true to me. Whatever you're going through, I, please understand it's not something that you've caused. God is allowing this to happen. And maybe even something that you didn't do. I don't know. These are things we have to wrestle with. And that's, that's the question that we're going to talk about today. But I do understand and I do know that there is always a purpose. There's people in this room within the sound of my voice, this is the hard part of my sermon here, because I know many of you personally. I know some of the things that you wrestle with at home and at work and in your life. There's a, there's a divorce that you didn't desire, a diagnosis that you didn't deserve, an addiction that is strangling the very life out of you, a financial hardship that wasn't your fault, Grief 
that is almost too much to bear. And a depression so deep that it's debilitating to you. So today, I want to ask you the question, what do you do when you feel like Job? What do you do? Now, in preparation for this, I kept wrestling with that, 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 that line, what do you do when you feel like Job? And the Klondike bar commercial came on. <laughs> so I'm going to put something in your brain for the rest of your life when you see that commercial. You ready? And I'm going to sing to you. They don't ask me to sing on stage very often, so when I get the chance, I'm going to do it. <clears throat> What do you do when you feel like Job? There it is. Okay? Thank you. Christy, that was my audition. What do you do when you feel like Job? Next time you, you hear that, you're going to sing it, I guarantee it. And now you're hungry for ice cream, right? I've set the table. Let's read a psalm from David. He's a person just like you and me. I cry aloud to God aloud to God, and he will hear me in the day of my trouble. I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. Most of you can relate to what he's saying there. Here we see David's heart. It's a heart cry. He's laying his soul in distress before God. I'm paraphrasing. He says, I cried to God. I complained to God. And I know he heard me. When life is crumbling all around me, I'm praying. And can't he see my hands that are raised in the air? But while my struggle continues, my soul is not comforted. I don't feel any better. You guys ever prayed that? You go, into, you go to God with something, and you're praying so earnestly, and you're crying out, and at the end, you hear crickets. God doesn't hear crickets. God is working behind the scenes. The next psalm here, Psalm 42.11, is going to be the basis of today's message. And Psalm 42.11 says this, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Both of those verses that we just read, it's a good understanding for you to understand, to understand that it's David, he's talking to himself. So how do we walk in the light when we feel like Job? If you're taking notes on your, on your phone, this is where you can start filling some stuff in. The first one is this. I need to find the source. Job asked, why are my soul, why my soul are you downcast? That would be David, sorry. Why are my soul are you downcast? He, why are you so depressed? He's looking at himself and go, what are, why are you feeling this way? He's talking about depression. And depression is real. Depression is dark. But I'm here to let you know that depression is not a sin. It's simply a symptom of something that your body is going through. Your body is reacting to something. It's not sin if you feel depressed. It's not sin if you feel weary and downcast. I've come up with three sources of depression, and there's plenty more. But first, well, the first one is this. Could the depression be a circumstantial depression? Meaning the circumstances of life. 
We've all had loss, right? Loss of a job. Loss of a child going off to college for the first time. Missing someone or something. A relationship. There could also be grief. And grief is the response to loss. I'm specifically talking about death. When someone close to you dies, a family member, a spouse, you feel that deep in your heart. And grief is generally emotionally focused, but it also has physical dimensions to it. Cognitive, behavioral, social, cultural, spiritual, and physiological. Depression will tear you up. Could the cause of why my soul is downcast, it could be a spiritual depression. It could simply just be the devil. He's working overtime in your life. We know him. He's a liar, an accuser. He wants nothing but to destroy you. And these could be called, those things we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, spiritual attacks on your life. It could be oppression. That's the mental pressure or distress that's brought on by depression. It weighs you down. It's like that heavy blanket. It's a place where we've given Satan a foothold in our life. We need to find that source of where those attacks are coming from. Find the crux of it. There's also the dimension of the physiological depression. This is the, the mind versus the brain. This is like, you guys remember things called CDs? You put, your, you put your favorite CD on and it starts to skip sometimes. That's what our brains do sometimes during depression. And it just plays over and over and it can't get past that one part. When I counsel people, I often um, share this thing called the grief cycle. And the grief cycle has six stages. First, there's the, there's the shock and denial of something that happened to you. Then that can turn, it turns into anger. And think of this as a big wheel. Now we're, we're over here. Then it leads to depression. Eventually you get to that bargaining stage, the woulda, coulda, shouldas. If I had only, could I have. Hopefully, eventually it gets to that acceptance part. And then eventually returning back to a meaningful life again. But there are many, many times that that shock and denial and the anger and the depression happens and they get to that bargaining stage and they get stuck like the CD and they just can't get past it. I've counseled people like that. And I want to push them through that depression, but I can't do it. That's between them and God. They have to, they have to rectify that. But I know that God can. The cycle, that's physiological disorders. disorders um, this is the type of depression that requires possible medication. Please understand that's okay. When the doctor prescribes that to try to help you get through, it's fine. And maybe even seeing a counselor. I'm a big proponent on that. Even when things are not going well, maybe seeing somebody, seeing a counselor, it's a good thing. So we need to search. We need to look for that source. We need to find the cause, and we need to begin the healing process. Please, please do not allow yourself to get stuck. The second thing on how we walk in the light when we feel like Job 
is that we need to hold on to our hope. We need to hold on to hope. David tells himself, put your hope in God. He reminds himself. Any of you guys self-talk? Put your hope in God. Hope is the confident expectation of God's faithfulness. Hope keeps our perspective straight in uncertainty. Hope is based in truth. Hope is not subjective, not based on our feelings, our preferences, our tastes, but it's rather it's objective. It's impartial, unbiased. It's purposeful. It's even targeted. Our, if our hope is targeted, then our aim is in eternal life. That should be the goal of every believer. That's the end game right there, is eternal life. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says that we live by faith and not by sight. How many of you guys are thankful for that? Especially you guys wearing glasses. <laughs> faith and hope in this situation are complementary to one another because faith is grounded in the reality of the past while hope is looking to the reality of the future. And I personally would rather live by faith than by these. My eyesight's failing me in both directions. And I refuse to wear progressive lenses. I can't do it. So I've got a pair for distance so I can see you all. There you are. I couldn't see you before. That's why I'm, a little, I'm not so nervous because I can't see you. And then I need the closed glasses when I'm reading now. I've turned that age. My, my eyesight, it's going to fail me. But you know what? My faith will not. Amen. Lamentations 3, 21 through 25 says this. It says, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait in him. The Lord is good to those who, whose hope is in him and to the one who seeks him. Wow, that's powerful. Go back to the, the reference I made in Job 13 about, about though he slay me, yet my hope is in him. Think back to that situation where Job was going through, and it was okay for him and us. I want you to understand this, that it's okay to feel helpless. We all have felt that. But he understood, and we need to understand that it's not okay for us to feel hopeless because we have hope. I'll say that one more time. It's okay to feel helpless, but not hopeless. We could, because we know where our hope comes from, right? We already know that. The third thing, how to walk in the light when we feel like Job, is we need to talk about it. We need to be able to talk about what's going on. David did. He asked himself again, why are you so disturbed within me? First thing we probably need to do, and it's the best, best knowledge, the best I can give you, talk to Jesus, but be willing to listen. Here's God. He says this in Matthew 17, 5. He says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen 
to him. I wish God would have bolded that, underlined it, italicized it. Listen to him. Jesus asks us to seek him, to find him out. He says, come to me in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, those that are weary and burdened, the ones that can't carry on anymore. Come to me. And then we're told that, that we are to unload our burdens onto Jesus. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your cares upon him. Cast your anxieties, your stresses, your grief. You fill in the blank here. Cast that upon him because he cares for us. Throw it on his back because he can take it. Quit carrying it. We're not called to carry that. There's nothing, absolutely nothing. This flies in the face of some people's reality. But there's absolutely nothing that we're going through that God cannot take. Next thing, after you've talked talk to Jesus, you should probably talk to a trusted friend. How many of you guys are verbal processors like me? I answer my own questions when I talk to Brian sometimes. I call him up and I have a question, and then during my conversation, I've already answered. Oh, okay, thanks, Brian. Bye. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> Probably talk to somebody within the church. Talk to a bestie. Talk to someone that you confide in, someone you've known for years that knows you in and out. Talking to people is good. Talk to a counselor. Talk to someone who is professionally trained in something specific that you're going through. Talking to people is always a good idea, but you have to be careful because of bad counsel. Anybody ever received that? Job did. He got it from two sides. He got it from his friends. You've done something wrong. And he got it from his wife. You've got to be discerning when listening to counsel. And, and for those in this room that are fixers, men talking to you, and you want to try to fix a problem with somebody, please understand that sometimes your counsel may not be the best counsel. Maybe it's not God's plan for what you're saying to that individual. We have to be discerning when we're hearing and what God is desiring in our own lives to do. The last part of this one is, is we have to talk to ourselves. David's been doing this the whole time. There's a, there's a good quote from a Welsh, Welsh Protestant minister named Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he says, Christians spend too much time listening to themselves when they should spend more time talking to themselves. Wow. He boiled it down to we should have just allow ourselves to talk to us instead of us talking to ourselves. There's a difference. That's kind of that inner cheerleader you have. You know, the, when a boxer, I was watching the Olympics, and you see the boxers come out, they're, they're self-talking. They're getting themselves hyped up. We need to be able to do that for ourselves with God's help. Please understand, this is not our self-help. This is God's help. So when we get in the ring to fight, we get into that meeting that we know is going to be difficult. Get in there and say, you've got this. God, you've got this. Work through me. Be, this voice be yours. Advocate for yourself. 
Fourthly, how do we walk in the light when we feel like Job? We need to set our mind and our hearts on things above. We need to refocus. What's the old adage? You can't see the forest through the trees when you're in it. It's true. We need to get a better perspective on things. Maybe that's the 30,000 foot perspective when you get up a little bit higher. You can see a little bit better. But there are times that God does not allow us to do that. He keeps us right in the thick of things. And he asks us to push through. We usually get depressed about things that when things are not going our way, yes? These are, the, these are those things, those block goals. And when this happens, we need to reset them. I look at it as a roadblock. There was a street down by us, and I needed to get to, I don't remember where I was going, but I had to get there really quick, and I've used this road a hundred times. And I'm going down Colorado Boulevard, and then they shut the road off. And I literally have to go turn around and go back probably another two miles out of my way. I could have stopped at that roadblock and gone, oh, God, look what you just put in my way. And I could have sulked to turn off my car and just sat there. This is going to do me no good. I need to reverse. I need to turn around. Let's figure this out. Let's find another way to do what God is asking us to do when those roadblocks pop up. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Wow. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Another thing that sets our minds and our hearts according to God is what we've already done today, worshiping and praying. David reminds us that when he says, yet I will praise him. The best way personally for me, and I hope for many of you, is that my, when, when I'm worshiping, I, my natural tendency is to raise my head and is to raise my hands. That's my natural tendency. That's quite opposite of depression. What does depression do? So worshiping, I think that's a depression killer. I think we need to worship a little bit more. See what that can do in our lives. We need to pray. The next thing that we need to do to, to set our minds and our hearts upon Christ is being strategic in Scripture memorization. How many of you guys have kids that go to Christian school and they have to memorize Scripture? That is amazing. I encourage that. And I encourage that you and adults as well. It's simply just another weapon that you have to fight when the devil comes a-calling. When the devil comes a-calling, you can say something to him that you have memorized, that is in front of you. And I remember this like my mama just like the other day, years ago, when I would say something, I know I was wrong, and my mom knows she's right, and she'd go, but, 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 shh, shh, shh. That's you saying, devil, shut up. You, you got nothing. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. If our minds are there, he'll keep us there. He'll walk with us every step of the way. And following, the last thing I want to talk about is, is we need to, when we set our minds and our hearts to God, 
we need to serve others. We need to serve others. I encourage this in all aspects of the church, from the youngest to the oldest. This is also known as look-around therapy because we all understand that it's hard to focus on our problems, our grief, our loss, when we're focused on meeting the needs of other people. Try it. It's amazing. Do things for God's kingdom. I was talking to somebody at prayer this week, and, and I asked, I said, how are you doing? And she said, well, I thought I was having a bad day, so I decided to read Job. Totally true. You're thinking you're having a bad day? Go watch the news. Read Job. There's always somebody that's got it worse than you. And please hear me for everything that I said today. I'm not minimizing anything anybody's going through. My heart weeps for people that are going through the things that we talked about today. Our church weeps. God weeps. God knows what each of us is going through. He's not afraid of your situation. He wants to walk alongside of you through it. And we need to be committed like Job that when we're going through this, when we're feeling slayed, that our trust and our hope is in Jesus Christ alone. I personally will put my hope there. So, let me ask you, are you Alexander-esque? Are you hopeless? Or are you Job-esque? Are you hopeful? I ask you to lean into God. And I'm going to leave you with my favorite memory verse. I've memorized this one, and it comforts me a lot. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways, commit to him, and he'll make your path straight. Amen. Let's stand together and just worship one more time together.
it is a powerful name. It's a name that we can count on. It's a name that's got our back. Father, thank you for today's message, Lord. And Father, my heart is for anyone in the sound of my voice that they would reach out to you in their time of desperation. Lord God, that when things feel troubled, when things are not going as they had planned, Lord God, may their eyes be set upon you. And Father, would you reach down to them and would you bring them comfort? You may not bring the answer immediately, but put inside of them that hope that lies within you. You're an amazing God. There is no one like you. We cast our burdens upon you because you care for us. We love you. We praise you. As we go today, Father God, may we serve others. May we go out into this world, Father, with new eyes, seeking to save the lost. We love you. We bless your name in Jesus, we pray. Amen.